You have both have phoned the secret society. Hear it first on FirstAmendmentRadio.com and FirstAmendmentRadio.net. Around the world and on satellite. but that's 
squaring up as nature would have it. And um, he's continuing on. The show must go on. Was that a Bar- Barnum and Bailey thing? The show must go on. And it is going on. He did a show last night in Massachusetts, and he's doing another one today at Cape Cod, and then he's on to Grove City, Pennsylvania for a show on Tuesday, a talk from noon to 9 p.m. in Grove City, and then he's on to Middlebury, Indiana. After that, there's Columbus, Indiana, and then he comes to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I will be hosting two stops on the weekend of the 30th and the 1st. So this is a busy week for Gregory, getting across to Wisconsin and the stops in between. There's going to be a lot going on, a lot of handoffs, and we're looking forward to making it all work together. And then he's got a bit of a break. He's got kind of a week off after the May 1st weekend, and hopefully some time to rest up, recuperate a bit, and maybe even look for another car. Then he'll be on to Minneapolis for a May 7th meeting, a couple meetings, May 7th, May 8th, and then to Wimbledon, North Dakota, where he finishes out the tour on May 9th and 10th. So that's kind of the uh, the summary of where he will be in the coming weeks. And I hope, you know, this car accident gives us a whole new revelation on just the things that can happen out there in the world. What if it would have been more severe? I suggest you really take this opportunity to get out and see him. You know, things like this can happen, and those opportunities may be gone. You know, he could uh, he could have easily been more injured than he was. This was on the interstate and going at a pretty rapid speed, and we know all know how car accidents can be. But things turned out for the better, and we can benefit from from this. And let's take advantage of it. Get out to see him come to whatever point you can along the route. Drive a little way. I mean, this is worth it. This is this is the answer to so many of our questions. The kingdom of God is at hand. This will tell you what that means. This will tell you how to realize it and tell us how to live our lives the way that Christ and God intend us to do. Moses, Abraham, Jesus, they were all in agreement. And the kingdom of God has been around a lot longer than people care to or even understand today. So today we're on a radio show called Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to talk about some keys. And the way we're going to do that is what I've been doing in Gregory's absence is going through a book he has written called The Higher Liberty. The Higher Liberty is basically made up of a number of very short sections, one page, two page. I think maybe there's one or two that are more than two pages. But uh, we've gotten to a point in the book, we're at page 54, and we started talking about it last time, but I'm going to start from the top. Once in a while, I mean, one of the biggest um, objections or things that stand in the way is when you hear the Christian pastors start talking about government, and they say, well, Romans 13 tells us that we need to obey the government. Well, to, um, that's what we've talked about in the past two or three episodes. A second one that they will bring up is First uh, Peter 2.13. So I'm going to talk about that now. Thank you for joining us, by the way. Should we submit to God or men? Should we ever go under authority or sell ourselves into bondage in exchange for benefits paid by others in subjection? It always leads to tyranny and abuse. Israel was forced to do so in Egypt because they had sold their own brother into bondage. But we were told never to return to that type of bondage again, over and over. God told us in the Bible, I've taken you out of Egypt. Never return to that. Guess where we are. The will of God for man is that he should be free to make choices and not be under the authority of men like Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Saul, or Caesar. Yet we also see Peter say that you should yourselves do every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme and this is First Peter 2.13. If we look at this verse, verse word by word and put it into the context of the whole scripture, we may see it in a new light. First, the Greek word owen is not translated into the King James Version. The meaning of owen is consequently or their relation to the prior statements. 
goodness, sorry about disconnected. <laughs> I was saying, if we look at this verse, word by word, and put it into context, the word, the whole scripture, we may say it in a new light. Peter's verse 13 is an instruction in relation to prior statements. Having your conversations honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the verse before, 1 Peter 2.12. It talks about our conduct among Gentiles. The word Gentiles is from ethnos, meaning other nations. Kingdoms, the kingdom was a nation under God at hand, but it did not exercise authority over the people like the other nations, the Gentiles. Other people called them evildoers because they did not participate in the social welfares of the systems of kings and rulers. They freely contributed to their government, who rightly divided it from house to house, in pure religion, caring, caring for the needy of their society, unspotted by the world, which was the world of Rome. Peter does say, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. 1 Peter 2.14 Paul knew that everyone seeking the kingdom could not be free, but they should desire it. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. The accusation was often that these men of Christ did not make the offerings on the civil altars of Caesar's government, which supplied welfare to the needy of their society. Christians did not participate. They had their own system, and men needed to contribute to it out of love, so that they did not, not neglect its needy. <clears throat> Peter continues, For so it is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God honor all men love the brotherhood fear God honor the king if you have signed up with or said yes to Caesar then you owe Caesar <clears throat> if you have an agreement with him to eat at the table at his table then you may owe him but that again is because you have failed to listen to the prophets you have failed to set the table of the Lord let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Psalm 69:22. <clears throat> because this precept of God is so fundamental, Paul repeats it. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and recompense unto them. That's Romans 11:9. In the social security system of the world, or is the social security of the system system of the world religious? It is how the world takes care of its widows and orphans and needy, but it is not unspotted by the world. It can't be. It is conformed to the world and very much entangled with it. It depends entirely on compelled offerings, and that's the key we're talking about here. We should all be reminded that we were endowed by God in the beginning with rights and the exercise of those rights we call liberty, the power of the power to choose and freedom of choice. Governments are not endowed by God, but by us. If we give up our God-given rights for the benefits of men who take from our neighbor, then we are rejecting God. Simple as that. <clears throat> then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 Supreme, higher, better, excellence. We hear these things, and what, where do they really come from? The Greek word hupercho means hold on the behalf of. It is not translated the same way twice. In Romans 13.1, we see higher powers, which is of God. God gave man power and dominion, and that makes the power of choice supreme, more excellent, and better. If man does not relinquish that right under a legal disability resulting from consent, contract, covenant, or constitution, he remains free, not intended. 
in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul is talking about not assuming you are better than anyone else, but being humble. In chapter 3, verse 8, huperecho is used to describe the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In chapter 4, verse 7, huperecho is used to say that the peace of God passeth all understandings. In 1 Peter 2.13, again, we are told to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The word katissus in the Greek is translated ordinance once in the Bible. It is translated creature or creation 17 times. It is defined as the act of founding, establishing. In Mark 16.12, we are told to go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Which, is trans- which means institution of mankind. <clears throat> the comparison of kings or governors in the next verse uses the word Basileus to produce king. Basileus is often used to describe Jesus as king, as it did in Acts 17.7, saying, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. So who was Peter's supreme king? Was it Jesus? It is easily construed that the ones for the punishment of evildoers would be the governors, which was translated from hegema. The term is most often translated governor and meant a leader of any kind, a guide, a ruler. It is almost always used to address someone sitting in a seat of judgment. Why is your liberty judged of another? If Jesus did not preach, was not proclaimed and did not appoint a kingdom then it might be difficult to assume that Peter was saying submit to Christ as king but the truth is Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man Peter tells us to honor the king using Basileus which could easily mean King Jesus in the next verse he says that servants should be subject to the master the word is often described Jesus the pivotal point of our understanding or misunderstanding seems to swing on one element. Was Jesus a king or not? No one should say that he did not establish his kingdom because he did. It was consecrated in his blood on the cross. Listen up. The truth that Christ was king was accepted by most powerful government, the most powerful government of the world at the time. No one can say that the people did not accept him as king. Thousands did in Jerusalem and all around the world, often at a great price. He did take a kingdom from the Pharisees and appointed it to his apostles, also known as ambassadors, who bore fruit. Matthew twenty-five fourteen tells us, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who is called who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. This parable is true again. Christ left, and when he returns, he will find the new Pharisees that delivered the world back into bondage again. They will have their power taken away again, and his kingdom will be restored again. There will be another great price to pay for those who have not done the will of the Father, but have been workers of iniquity. By watering down the gospel and denying the power of his kingdom, and the righteousness of his ways. <laughs> and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. First <clears throat> Samuel chapter eight eighteen. When Saul said foolishly when Saul foolishly forced the sacrifice of the people, his kingdom was doomed. When David foolishly numbered the young men of Israel for the draft, it was called a sin against God, but he repented. When Solomon and his son oppressed the people, the people repented from their sin of rejecting God. Those rulers should have freed the people, but the evil had already been set in motion. The nation was divided and conquered in their hearts. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Judges tell some verses that may lead to confusion if not seen in the context of the spirit of love and dominion of God. Second Peter 2.10, 
but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Everywhere else the word translated government in 2 Peter 2 is translated dominion. If dominion is a right and responsibility endowed by God, and men give that divine inheritance away in exchange for comforts of the flesh, then have we despised the dominion of God? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15 <clears throat> A third objection people bring up when talking about government and crisis, Titus 3.1. This is a great example of how false doctrines have been creeping into due to the work of false or misguided ministers and the teachers who talk easy to read the translation and think, we know what the original text said. If people will not diligently seek the truth, deception and confusion will reign over their minds. We commonly read Titus 3.1 as, Put them in mind to be subject to the principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. The confusion may be resolved upon closer examination. Put in mind is from the Greek word meaning remember. To be subject is from hupotasso, meaning to arrange in order or yield to one's admonition or advice. To principalities is from arche, which means beginning origin as is almost and is almost always translated that way and powers is the word exousia meaning right as in the right to do anything one wishes is also translated liberty and right in the same bible now we have let's put these together remind them of the arrangement in the beginning and of liberty God's governmental design in the beginning is that men should be at liberty under him. It was not God's plan that man be under the governments of men. Cain went out of the presence of God to build a government that oppressed that liberty. We also are often pointed to the term obey magistrates. In the beginning, we were free souls under God until we sinned and Cain created his city-state, Nimrod his Babylon, Pharaoh his Corby system of statutory bondage, and of course all those other governments with men who promise liberty and benefits at the expense of your neighbor and bring you back into bondage again. Of course, if Titus stated to obey magistrates, that would set the manner of the arrangement. Here's the interesting point. Titus does not say obey magistrates. The word magistrates is not in the original text. We only see the word <laughs> pitharkeo, which means obey. This could mean obey magistrates, but it could easily mean obey God, since that is who we were to obey in the beginning. If we would remember, the statement seems clear if you will believe. In fact, Peter and others used the same word in Acts 5.29. And the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The same word as Titus in Obey Magistrate. I'll pick this up on the other end of the break. Appreciate you sticking with me. And we'll talk to you again soon. You're listening to FirstAmendmentRadio.com worldwide. Freedom is never free. We need your support today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. 
Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demands mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts, and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, platinum, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call 559-781-3773. Who will tell them if not you? If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at FirstAmendmentRadio.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all of our programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you may request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $25. Or any single program on tape, MP3 CD, or CD for only $15. You may do all of this online at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. You may also adopt an hour of your favorite program. Please don't forget that most of the programs on FirstAmendmentRadio.com are listener-supported. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773 and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Paul from Wisconsin, filling in for Brother Gregory. Gregory is in Massachusetts today, uh, doing the latest stop on the whirlwind tour. He's in Cape Cod area. Um, You can find out all the information on the tour events by going to hisholychurch.org slash tour, and that should get you up to date on what you need to know. Um... I talked in the first part of the program how Gregory has been in an accident, car accident, and lost the use of his car. The network has stepped up to provide rides between stops, and it's really a wonderful thing to behold. And I thank everyone for being a part of it and making this stuff come together. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank First Amendment Radio for giving this opportunity to be on the air and share these truths with you. Um, it's, uh, I encourage you to subscribe to their, their, uh, offerings online. You can get these shows on CD or uh, downloadable MP3s, I understand. And, uh, if you, if you have it within your means, please support First Amendment Radio. So, before the break, we were talking a little bit of, uh, the objections that are commonly raised by people when you start saying that, uh, the government um, was not instituted by God but of men they talk about Romans 13 they talk about 2 Peter 2.13 and we were talking about Titus 3.1 which uh, part of it tells us to obey magistrates that word to obey magistrates is also the word found in in Acts 5.9 when Peter is saying and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God 
rather than men. It's this obey. The magistrates was kind of added by the translators. In Acts 5.32, the word is used to tell us to obey God and his Holy Spirit. We also see it in Acts 27.21, when Paul stood forth and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. How can the word be translated in obey magistrates in one place and listen to Paul in another? While arco can mean leader, the word pixio means to persuade. A problem of interpretation should be not should not arise since the leaders of the church led by persuasion, while the leaders of the world often operated by force. History is filled with the record of successful governments that did not exercise authority over one another. The nations that neglected the responsibility of the individual the power of choice in the hands of a few always declined into decadence and despotism. What about magistrates? The leaders of the church including the elders, were also magistrates who held the right to settle disputes. In fact, people were told not to sue their brothers at law. The word law here is the word nomos, which is a common, commonly translated law, but the word crino and crema, which, is an, which as a noun and verb were commonly... Okay, I need to repeat this, sorry. The word law here is not the word nomos, which is commonly translated law, but the words crino and crema, which are, as a noun, are verbs commonly translated judgment and judge. The Christians formed their own government and settled disputes, cared for the needy, and one another. Those chosen amongst them in a network of leaders were also the judges of their society, settling disputes and offering a system of appeals through the servant governments of the church. That is why Jesus answered them, it is, n is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. The word gods is from theos and is defined figuratively a magistrate. The same is true of the Hebrew word Elohim, translated God or judges in the Old Testament. It was applied by the way of deference to magistrates. These are the God's many spoken of by Paul. The purpose of the early church courts was not to punish and protect the people from abuse. They exposed evil and selfishness and shunned those who would not repent and make recompense. The governments of the world would punish the wicked. If we are going to deny the power of Jesus to appoint a kingdom, a government, even though it was different from that of the governments of the world, we are denying the gospel of the kingdom at hand. Such churches may pretend a form of godliness, but they are clearly denying the power thereof. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 5 tells us, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from, the, from such turn away. The word power in this verse is dunamis, meaning strength, power, ability. In denying the kingdom as a real and present, these ministers are quite obviously denying the power of the kingdom at hand, which Christ told us was the truth. Okay, let's look at public servants. There's a great controversy in churches over the meaning of terms like elder, episcopos, protos, episcopos, liturgios, cuperetis, diakamos, and poimen. After 2,000 years of gainsaying and vanity, and because of the divisions and impotence of the modern church, confusion reigns over the minds of the people and their churches. There were many offices within the body of the church, and few understand their purpose, authority, or titular nature. A corporation in civil law is two or more people acting as one person for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority. The corporations of men are the institutions of men who make things in their own image, often playing God with their own efforts. The family is the first institution of God. It is his holy estate. Within the family, there are offices of husband, father, wife, mother, but there is also the office of son and daughter. Each had their own rights and responsibilities passed down from generation to generation. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, 
for thee have I seen right for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation that's from Genesis 7 1 the word elder is not an office of the church but an office of the family the apostles no more appointed men to the office of elder than they could appoint men to the office of father these are terms of nature and of nature's God Rome fell when the sacredness of family was diminished by the demise of a need for the family when the state becomes father of all the head of the family is cut off as the fathers of families decreased Rome declined without the natural fathers they became a nation of orphans and widows and the foundation of all society which is the family failed so what about elders the first chapter of Titus is talking about appointing elders of good reputation these elders were men of age sober grave temperate sound in faith and charity in patience these men are elders of families brought together in congregation of tens and a network of hundreds and thousands of families to form an alternate government composed of titular leaders who cared for each other based on love and the hope of charity and goodwill for one another <clears throat> when the New Testament speaks of elder or old men it is talking about what the Greeks call presbyteros all they are talking about is an elder of age the elder of two or more people since the family was God's sacred institution it was the eldest members of the family who were being appointed to the heads of the congregations these elders only held positions of service and had no power to rule over other families like governments of the world since the days of Cain city-state it has always been God's desire to return every man unto his possession and every man unto his family previously we see in Titus 2.14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us all from iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works the word peculiar is from perisosis it appears once in the Bible here in Titus and is defined that which is one's own belongings that which is one's own belonging to one's possessions a people selected by God from the other nations for his own possession in order to be a free people it is still necessary to have leaders men and women will still have to attend to the functions of government and be compensated for those services in a voluntary society the support of the workers must be by free will offerings in such society virtue must reign supreme or hope will be lost and so society shall crumble for wantonness and neglect it is not what a man says but what he does and the elders of a family have fruit by which we may judge their fitness for office if his family is not in order that is a sign that he may fail in godly service okay we have another office called diakonos were there offices and titles in the early church there was work duties men and women who performed them but they had no titles of nobility they did have offices of service the word diakonos appears some 31 times in the New Testament it is tra translated minister 20 times servant 8 deacon 3 times it is more interesting where it does not appear and how it is used it does not appear in Luke or in Acts Jesus uses it three times in Matthew twice describing the servants of his kingdom who do not exercise authority which is the only place Mark uses it and wants to describe a servant who a servant who binds someone and casts them out in John it describes servants at the marriage feast who fill the water jars for Jesus and in John 12:26, Jesus describes those who serve him <coughs> Paul is fond of the term it clearly means servant of another it is translated deacon in Philippians 1.1 when it is coupled with episkopos i.e. bishop in 1 Timothy 3.8 and 3.12 it refers to qualifications not for the office of deacons but all the servants of the church so 
some scholars suggest that the Greek word diakonos means one who raises the dust. Others do not. Konos can mean dust or earth. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells of altars of earth, red clay. Those altars were made of living earth, which we explain in the book The Sacrifice and the Sophistry. The Greek root dia can mean to join as we see, as in diagonal or diagram. First used by Heron of Alexandria in 10 to 70 AD in a geometric sense, meaning the joining of lines. The word deacon comes from the Latin word diaconus, which means chief of ten. By the time the scripture was composed, the two words diaconus and diaconos had begun to fuse into a common usage of the church. The Latin diaconus is the Greek and the Greek diaconos, both mean servant or minister. Minister is a Latin word for doer of little deeds. The word minister is also a generic term that includes all who serve others, whether they be deacon, bishop, or archbishop. No matter if you use the meaning or etymology of deaconess or diaconess, there is no doubt that they were servants. Howlett is one of the best kept secrets of our time. Deaconess of ten. Is there an office of deacon? What should he be doing? Churches have strayed so far from the gospel of the kingdom that their deacons actually argue that the belief argue that the belief that the service is distinctive of deacons is a servant myth. The deacon Gouli used the letters to the Trallians by Ignatius of Antioch to make his point. <clears throat> it stated, Deacons are not waiters, diaconi, providing food and drink, but executives, hyperatai, of the Church of God. Terms evolve, but what was their meaning and use in the time and the context of Scripture when they were written? The term dean, a faculty head, is derived from the, the Latin deaconess. Terms like decurions signify those who serve other de deans, ten deans to be specific. The Latin word deaconess means leader of ten. Originally, tithing was based on ten families being served by one minister. Each minister in Israel, otherwise known as the Levites, served ten families. In support of that government, they were tithed to in accordance to their service. They served the tents of the congregations, ten families, to keep them free. Throughout the early church, you see congregations of ten, with ministers gathered also in groups of ten. This was a pattern repeated to join the people in a living network of faith, hope, and charity under the perfect law of liberty. Families seeking to be ruled by God rather than by the unrighteous gods of the world gathered together. Do we see this structure in today's churches, the megachurches? You have a pastor or a group of pastors serving thousands of congregations. Of congregations. It's uh, not following the early church structure at all. They were, served, they were served by their Christian ministers. They provided for their welfare and needs by charitable contributions, so they did not have to go to the civil altars of men who exercised authority and be entangled in bondage again in the elements of the world. We're talking again about the, the early church here. So Ignatius and Gouli were correct. Deacons were not merely to wait on tables and serve food, but they were the welfare officers of a republican form of government, the kingdom of God, which composed from about 5% to 10% of the Roman Empire and beyond. In Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Emperor, Empire, he praised the union and discipline of the Christian Republic. He also pointed out that it gradually formed an independent and increasing state in the heart of the Roman Empire. The early Christian Church was a republic, but how was that union and discipline maintained without exercising authority, like the governments of the world? Centuries before and after Christ, voluntary free governments formed with ten families gathered together to choose one minister of virtue and trust. Then ten of those ministers would choose a minister of ministers, repeating the pattern 
to form a national group. The common system of self-government was known by Abraham and Moses and used by many nations for centuries. The early church was no different. It was based on the liberty of charity. Investment in the government was not in central treasuries that finance war and corruption, sloth and avarice, but it was in the support of the virtuous people of society, which was the true treasure of a nation. This network of tens, hundreds, and thousands could attend local needs or national problems quickly and efficiently, and the greatest among them were the best servants of servants of servants. The twelve apostles and 120 families in the upper room represented the foundational form of early Christian church, seen throughout early its early history. This pattern of tens or tons with tithing men or hundredsmen, the curians or hundredschaften, was common. It was a key element of free governments among those who sought to be ruled by God in faith under the perfect law of liberty. Now you notice that those terms that I just mentioned span a number of different languages, from Latin to German to English to Greek. So this was pretty widespread even in those days of the early church. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. And there were 12 apostles, 10 each. The Latin deaconess was a military term. It was used by many people to describe leaders of 10. If you create offices of power, men who seek power will seek office. The officers of the church did not seek to rule over the people but like Christ, were offices of service. <laughs> okay, let's look at the executive officers. The Greek word huperetes is also translated ministers, but it is more often, more often translated officers. Such a minister was the executor of commands of a superior officer. The soldiers of the faithful Roman centurion who recognized the power and authority of Christ to heal his servants was Huperetus, as was Paul when he served the government of the Pharisees in the persecution and prosecution of those who left the government of the Pharisees and accepted Christ as their king. Jesus had recruited Paul as his Huperetus. Acts 26.16 tells us, But rise and stand on thy feet, upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister, which is Huperetus, and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and those things in which I will appear unto thee. The term hypertai could have meant officers in the army or navy, or applied to any person who acted as the assistant of another, and performed manual labor for him. Colleges that were not administered by city governments would have hypertai. Similar to liturgia, which had a very general meaning of service, but with a peculiar sense of self-sacrifice that in Asian cities usually took the form of financial expenditures. The word hypertasia, I'm sorry, hyperasia, had a broad meaning with specific significance when it came to city administration. This office was clearly a governmental trust and included financial responsibilities. The term is even used to describe David's service as overseer of the treasury of Israel. The word appears in reference to John Mark, who accompanied Paul and Barnabas. They had often been on missions of mercy, carrying major funds and supplies for the relief of Christians in need. They were the original Faith Emergency Management Auxiliary, or FEMA, of the church. Okay, let's talk about the Apostolic Church. A most controversial subject to address is the offices of the church, the separation of church, clergy, and laity, and whether there is an apostolic body of the church. There is not enough room in this book, or on this show today, to cover these topics fairly, but a glimpse at the early church will reveal differences from modern churches. Scholars, in their biased zeal, have stated that the presbyter and bishop are identical in meaning. This would be like saying son and brother are the same. Since I am both, 
I am father, I am son, I am husband, I am brother. I am not all these things to all men. All bishops may be presbyters or elders, but not necessarily all elders are overseers. <laughs> the government of the church was by presbyters, who were the elder of each family unit. All power of government comes from the people, and the people come from families. The family retains all the rights to choose over their possessions. All ministers or servants of God are ordained by God. How do we know who is a minister of God? Is it by the laying on of hands, proclamations, and decrees, by diplomas and letters of investiture? Does flesh and blood reveal it? The natural man cannot know because they are spiritually discerned. By their fruits ye shall know them, which labor among you, and you should establish who you know by the ministers of God, to be the ministers of God by two or more witnesses. This is the way the elders choose their ministers. This is the way the ministers choose their ministers. This is the way we as congregations form the congregation. Two or more witnesses recognize a minister in his function and a congregation is formed. A minister of ten ministers was an elder of his family, a minister or deacon to the minister he served, and to the overseer of the congregation that the minister served. The daily or ongoing election of your personal minister was based on your voluntary support, what you gave according to his service. When an offering was given to a minister of the church for the purposes of Christ, it was given entirely. The one who received it had all the power over that offering because it was freely and completely given. If a minister did not do well with what was given to him, the giver had the option not to give again. He could choose another minister instead. You don't have to wait four years to have a re-election. Your next gift would be to another minister. In this way, liberty remains with the people, and the right vested by God within the family never diminishes. It has been said that the pastors or shepherds, with the twofold functions of hope and teaching, that reasoning is the result of subtracting the kingdom at hand from the gospel of the kingdom. The early church clearly had the mission of free feeding the sheep, caring for the needy, and offering an alternative to praying to those men who called themselves benefactors and exercised authority over one another. Thank you for listening today. May peace be upon your house, and have a blessed weekend. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.